Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This panel has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and presenters at Metatopia 2019. Episode 251, Creating Mysteries in RPGs. Presented by Kenneth Height, Betsy Rosenblatt, and Darren Watts. This is the Designing Mystery Games or Designing Mystery Stories. Mysteries in RPGs. Mysteries yeah. in RPGs, the broadest imaginable remit. Right. <laughs> All right. This is. What? <laughs> Shush you. Jeff wants to know whether we whether we can talk about creating mysteries in board games. We can't. We, no, sorry. No, we can. Well, we we're can. just but we not. Won't. We're not going to. <laughs> right. <laughs> can't. As if. <laughs> All right, uh, real fast, uh, the panel will introduce itself, themselves, and uh, then each panelist will provide zeroth law nuggets that you should know before you begin asking questions, which I'm sure you all have many of, but perhaps these zeroth law nuggets will have answered those questions, and you can move from the 101 questions to the 102, or even the 202 questions. We'll provoke brand new questions. We will. That is our goal. Actually, that's not our goal. Our goal is to assist and inform, not to provoke, although right. we may provoke in the process. I like to think of myself as a bit of a provocateur. Fantastic. I like it. Betsy will be provoking you. Darren will assist. Okay. I will inform. Right. All right, um, I'm Kenneth Height. I'm a uh, role-playing game designer. Uh, I have designed any number of mystery-oriented uh, games because I have designed in the Gumshoe uh, engine, uh, which is designed specifically to optimize investigative role-playing. Uh, it is based on the, let's say, two-thirds of the average Call of Cthulhu session slash campaign uh, in which you investigate the mystery. Gumshoe makes that smoother and happenableer through the uh, inside of Robin D. Laws, its designer, which is that rolling to get the clue is an unsatisfactory roll, so give them the clue and move forward. Uh, this is uh, a central insight which we'll come back to. Um, games uh, that I've done in that space include uh, Nice Black Agents, Trail of Cthulhu, Fall of Delta Green, and perhaps most mysteriously of all, Bubble Gumshoe with uh, Emily Carabas and Lisa Steele. Um, you want to go next? No. Okay. Um, so, uh, uh, which are among uh, my favorite games to play. Aww. I like mystery games. Um, and I like that the mystery concept is so uh, transferable to different uh, storytelling genres. Um, but one of the things that I find uh, potentially unsatisfying about... Uh, that kind of game specifically is that someone knows the answer. The GM knows what the mystery is about and no one else does and it's your job to figure it out. Betsy, Betsy, would you care to provide a clue to our gumshoe audience as to your identity 
Aha. No. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, we will address her only as Betsy. I'm Betsy Rosenblatt. I'm a I'm game player and uh, and uh, module writer, and more recently, uh, designer. Uh, by day, I'm a law professor. Oh. And your design credits include such massive successes and inspirational hits as. Oh, fine. You're gonna play that game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Solvers is uh, play currently playtesting play right now uh, at this very convention. There you go. <laughs> That's your Rosenblatt, everybody. <laughs> Waver in awe. And now, um, Darren. I'm, uh, but I want to give the rest of the oh, thought. No, okay. The rest of the thought was that in games where the GM knows the answer, it is often uh, frustrating as a GM to realize that the six brains at your table are better than your one brain. And so uh, I uh, have strived to develop a game where uh, nobody knows more than anybody else, uh, and the mystery is procedurally generated. All right, cool. That, that is, uh, the reason I wanted to rush you past it is because it's such a good topic. I figured we would be spending all of our time with Darren yeah, would never can, get to say I'm in favor. We can totally talk about, that, talking more about that. Right. the <laughs> difference between procedurally generated and something the GM yeah, does advanced. Yes. Right. right. Uh, I am Darren Watts. I am the former publisher of Hero Games and uh, president of Indie Press Revolution. Uh, I got out of the owning business, uh, you know, some years ago, and I since have freelanced for Doctor Who and Star Trek and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and uh, but the main thing that I am known for is superhero games, in which uh, you know, incredibly skilled detectives wind up like trying to solve crimes. Uh, and anyway, which is one of the reasons I was interested in this panel and kind of volunteered to jump on. So. Okay. <clears throat> so I guess. Um, Betsy having tossed the grenade into the study. So right. I was a provocateur. Yeah. Right. I'm trying no, my best. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's address procedural games. I, I guess you got your first salvo in I did. Darren, do you have thoughts on procedural versus... I have never designed one. I delight in playing them, and I am very entertained by the process, but most of the time in the products and the kind of games that I generate from them, there is, in fact, a solution you know, to the mystery that is something that the GM has provided or the module has provided for it. Right. Um, I don't have a great deal of experience with, you know, like kind of generating them on the fly, um, but I have played games in which that's the case and I enjoy them tremendously, so I am, you know, kind of curious to participate in that discussion, so. Yeah, the first mechanical system for that that I remember noticing, as opposed to everyone at the table is improving and the GM changes the answer midway through, right. which has, goes back to you know probably people screwing around with Dave Arneson at his table. Yes, um, was uh, Dread Secrets of Candlewick Manor by Benjamin Baugh, which yes. has yeah. a terrific uh, long-form mystery solution in which the mystery is a supervillain, I guess structurally yes. that as you dis uh, defeat its dice in individual combats, you are rewarded with flashbacks and also create uh, at the table, communally, the solution to the mystery of your orphan identity and what's going on right, in Candlewick exactly. Manor. And it is an amazing system and I have tried multiple times to introduce it or uh, incorporate it into other games. Most successfully, I think in my case, in uh, The Last Flight of the KG-400, which is a story game that I did at this show a few years ago, in which you play the worst people in the world 
uh, on a long-range Nazi transport plane out of a falling Berlin, right? Yeah, and something is. is pursuing you to destroy you, and you communally create whatever it is that you did wrong that has screwed you up over and is now coming back to, to, to destroy you as you richly deserve. And that had a number of story prompts from the players that uh, you that, that go into the mix. So there is still, you could argue, and I think Betsy would argue, looking at it, there is still an answer. It is just not an answer that the GM comes up with, right. which is yeah. what an answer is often shorthand for. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because obviously, even if it's fully procedurally generated in the moment, or even totally improv, you still wind up with an answer. Right. You're not playing I Heart Huckabee's the role-playing game, right. although. Well, there's this judge yeah, at yeah. some point in the process who right. is kind of like comes across and says, "In fact, that's right." Yeah. You know, of the various things that you have floated out as possible answers for this, one of them is in fact more correct than the others, and I'm going to steer you as the GM towards. You know, like some, some sign that like, oh, one of the five things that you threw out as possible answers is in fact the better answer. Right. Right. So. But uh, uh, going back a little bit, my point is that one of the, there's two reasons not to do this. One is it's really hard uh, in design. Yes. Uh, Benjamin Baugh did it. He's very, very good. Betsy is doing it, obviously. She's terrific. Yeah. But it's not easy to do. And second of all, its fail state is nothing. Whereas right. the fail state of a mystery with a storyline is you didn't solve it or the GM has to for, uh, uh, slip it to you, mm -hmm. but the story is still going on. Right, yes. Um, and as Which is the fail state of the way I do it in like a superhero game where it's like, oh, we're trying to solve the crime right. or whatever that actually which, which, which is Which is my, um, uh, which is my sort of concern as a designer and as a GM is when I'm designing a game, I'm not designing a game for me to run, because then all games I release would just be a series of scribbled <laughs> notes in a, 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 a A4 notebook. Right. And that would not work. I have looked into that. <laughs> <laughs> there are people who would buy that. I'm sure, but there are not enough people who would buy that. <laughs> and it would be the kind of product that would be hard to put a $500 price tag on. <laughs> Which is, I think, how the numbers would have to if work. If you're not Neil Gaiman. Right, I am right. not. No. Because I know what American gods would be. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's my reason is because I'm designing not for me, but for ideally a broad spectrum of capabilities at the table. I prefer a game where the fail state is at least, well, thank God something happened. Thank God we, we figured out that murderer, even though we in our hearts know we did not figure out the murderer. It was handed to us. But that that works in a way that we all got our heads together and we came up with mush or nothing or accidentally contradicted ourselves or committed any number of the sins that can happen when you allow those six superior brains to run amok. Mm -hmm. uh, and, that, and that's my concern as a designer. But Betsy, of course, has thought more directly and seriously about this question. Will not rebut my futile concerns, yes? Well, I think it depends on, I don't know that your, your concerns are futile. I think you're absolutely right that the, uh, right, the fail state of a story game that doesn't really go anywhere on a mystery is kind of a boring story. Yeah. And right. if, what, if what you're looking for is uh, to be guaranteed that your story will be interesting and not silly, 
um, unless silly is like your stated goal. The genre. Um, Then then the sort of somebody knows the answer is far more guaranteed to get that. Right. Um, Right, and the the difficulty of the procedurally generated approach is um, it depends on your players being creative enough to make things that the other players can play on to be creative enough. And so a table of people who just don't want to create stuff are, but probably aren't that cut out for story games either. Or or had a bad day at the office or any number of things, right? Yes, yes. It's not capacity that governs things at the table as everyone who has ever run a role-playing game should know, right. because every process. GM has had the thought, I know you're smarter than this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the capacity in the moment. Right, yeah. In the moment, yes. <coughs> so I have a question for, for both of you, as, uh, as people who thought, I think, probably longer about this and harder about this. What do you think is a mystery? That was such a good RPG. diss. I'm going to just enjoy that diss for a little bit. <laughs> no, that was meant to be a compliment. Uh, yes, 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 nice. yes. Council, approach the bench in your own time. Um, um, uh, I think that you can define a mystery as any number of ways, and certainly the Gumshoe system, uh, the, the sort of the Gumshoe family. Uh, defines mysteries very broadly because all the games are investigatively organized. So, for example, Trail of Cthulhu is a very standard mystery game and Bubble Gumshoe is an even more standard mystery game. Bubble Gumshoe is literally who stole my bike, who's writing mean notes about me, who murdered the vice principal, standard stuff. And in the the larger scope of it, what, what you can use Bubble Gumshoe for is who is wearing the crazy rubber mask to drive everybody away from the you know amusement park? Right. Uh, so that we can use the yeah. real estate. Yeah. Value the, the, there, there are any number of yeah. drifts of of, of Gumshoe as well sure. that, that move it into other subgenres. Right. And then Trail of Cthulhu is sort of the next level out. It's all of those things except it was probably a monster. And <laughs> right. Yeah. Then Knights Black Agent says a thriller, which is what the genre is. It's a spy thriller. A thriller is just a mystery where everyone knows who did it at the beginning. Uh, so that you can be like, oh, curse you, Goldfinger, stealing all that gold. Um, I guessed it was you because of your name was Oric Goldfinger. <laughs> <laughs> but the thriller is how will James Bond figure that out? How will Goldfinger try to move to counter him? It's the decisions right. of the moment. That, well, the, 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 the committer of the crime, whatever right. it is for it, has some capacity to otherwise threaten you yeah. on top of having done this secret crime. Right. right? Yes. At the process of investigating you, investigating you puts you in some danger from their, right. you know, and then their response. At sort of the outer uh, limits of this is Ashen Stars, which treats Star Trek as a mystery show. Right. Which is, what's the deal with this stupid planet where people dress up like Romans? That is not a mystery as defined by the mystery writers of America, but it is absolutely structurally a mystery because that's how it is played both on TV and then once you filter it through the lovely and talented Robin Laws' engine to Ashen Stars, it becomes an investigative game and a mystery structurally, even if it still is played out and talked about by the player characters as, what's the deal with this planet? As opposed to, right. why did this planet murder that guy? Or whatever. <laughs> right, yeah. 
and it's still Ashton Stars in particular still places the PCs in the role of being law enforcement on some level, right? That like a crime right. has been committed, which is not necessarily part of the structure of your typical Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica or whatever. Well, right? Like that's to some extent, Starfleet has do. some sort of enforcement capacity right, yeah. and. There is the mystery of the anomaly, the space anomaly that's sure, happening. Right. And the reason that that doesn't work as satisfactorily in mystery play is that the answer is always techno battle. Aliens did it. Yeah, right. right. Well, it's, it's, so. it's something that you cannot expect a player to understand. Right. Because they don't know what the ship is capable of. They don't know what the bogus rules of physics are in that universe. And so, the degree to which uh, that's solving... To be fair, when we played Ashen Stars, for, we always did try to make it that right. level yeah. of, you know... Yeah. Ashen Stars was just an excuse for us to run Agatha Christie Mysteries in, in space, space yeah. and still follow the rules right. of what a mystery is expected to be, right? That we would always provide right. the necessary clues, and then, you know, you could either feel smart or dumb for having solved them over, by, right. you know, over the course of it. And I would absolutely say uh, it is valuable to look at every genre that you play in because mystery stories happen everywhere right? Yeah. and anywhere and under any circumstances, even if it's the mystery of what's behind the left door of the dungeon instead of the right door of the dungeon. So that, to me, is uh, was at the root of my question, I think, because to, to talk about putting mysteries or including mysteries or incorporating mysteries into RPGs, um, I think... Part of it might be um, incorporating a sense of mystery into an RPG, right? The, that it's not just about uh, creating like a law enforcement procedural or a detective story, but also incorporating mysteries into RPGs might be giving players a sense of surprise and discovery about something that the, about the world they're in that they didn't know. Yeah, I is mean, that yes. or would we say that's too broad? Well, I mean, it's it is it is usefully broad at the top level, right? And then you can kind of like yeah. work down from there. Of okay, in that case, given this genre, given this situation, what is an appropriate level for them to yeah. generate on their own, as opposed to what I am providing as the arbiter of the environment you're operating. Right, and given right. and given the the expected core activity of the game. Of the, yeah, exactly. Because what in Dungeons and Dragons, the core activity is killing monsters and taking their stuff. Right. So what is behind the the left door? You know, where Gumshoe might present clues, and you inter interrogate the Goblin Butler and everything else. In D and D, roll to listen at the door. Yeah. Now you've right. solved it. Now you've solved it. And right. Gumshoe D and D would say. You don't have to roll. It's 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 a core clue. You hear hideous right. breathing, and you're like, oh, I know hideous breathing. It yeah. means it's the hideous breather. Right. We're in trouble. <laughs> Let's go through the right door right. and follow our deaths. The empty pit. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's so so. I, I think you can usefully look at things as mysteries, but then in terms of a panel called putting mystery into role playing. Mm -hmm. That may be too broad for the audience, which sure. we'll learn when they begin asking questions, which is not now, Shane, put your hand Right, but I mean, yeah. there's, it, you know, it, it's whatever the, you know, like the, the Mystery Writers of America or whatever, right? You mm -hmm. know, it's it's the list of things that are fair and unfair yeah, that's the, in a yeah, mystery. The, the detection right, club. The detection yeah. club yeah. list of like what is right and right. wrong about Agatha Christie or whatever, mm -hmm. and, and you're actually doing it, right? Like in every, 
uh, Sherlock Holmes mystery is completely unfair because Sherlock Holmes has access to information that you don't. Yeah. Right. And then the with the exception of Silver Blaze, that's actually a fair. Well, that's what you sure. Right. Saw. Exactly. Right. That's right. But the, the, the the point of it being that if you knew everything that Sherlock Holmes knows by the beginning of the story, yeah, maybe you'd have a fair chance of solving this too. But the amusement value of the story is Sherlock Holmes has figured out some shit from an observation that the writer didn't even tell you that he made until he comes up afterwards and says, well, I could totally tell that the guy was left-handed because of this and whatever, you know, and nothing in the story gave you that, right? So, you know, like the, the, when mystery writers, you know, like talk about that, they will disdoil for saying, I didn't give you all the clues that you needed to have. Right, in order to be able to solve this, and that a fair mystery, by definition, is one in which at some point during the text, I gave you everything that you needed to have. Right? If you're doing an improvised, everybody at the table is co-creating mm -hmm. like that level, right? Then details and information about the crime are things that are going to come out in an unusual order and not be provided in necessarily like a fair way of you know, a quote unquote fair way to give everybody a chance to actually solve this, right, for this. And so, you know, at some point, either, either the GM has a list of these are the clues that you are expected to solve, or somebody is providing new information along the way and changing the state of the universe by defining a new thing and saying, because I am a brilliant detective, I notice that he is left-handed, and therefore, blah, 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 blah and continue on with the story from there. Now everybody's got that information that didn't exist until the player came in and added that to the universe. Right. That's right. right. And that and foundational so, question, I think, maybe goes to, right, the, the reason I, I want to sort of pin down what we mean by mystery is experiencing a sense of mystery and experiencing something that the Mystery Writers of America or the Detection Club would say is a mystery right. might be different Our things. different things. Right? So right. like, uh, like the mystery of what's behind the door may not be experienced as a sense of mystery, right? Uh, even though you can deduce it from clues, right? Um, whereas the sort of oh, we need to build up more about this world to even to know what's wrong with it. It might be experienced as a sense of mystery, but isn't what the mystery writers right, of America yeah, would say right. is mystery. Right, yeah. which is not in and of itself enough of a reason to do it, but if that is what you are attempting to create the effect of, right. if you're attempting to get your players or assist your players in acting like Columbo, if that's the actual, like, <laughs> or in the case of the stuff that I write, acting like Batman, because that's right. the kind of detective yeah. that we're trying to emulate. That's right. I, I also think that Nathan Paletta's uh, Columbo game, just one more thing, is uh, a procedural mystery. Yeah. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah exactly. In so, procedurally developed, not procedural in the TV sense of yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. Procedurally developed in play as we're actually doing right. this, right? So when you are attempting to like be, okay, I have figured out what the supervillain is doing that has caused this problem. I have figured out, you know, like how the Joker is mysteriously offing all of these people. <coughs> That is very difficult to generate in play out of like the player's experience, yes. unless you are playing in a game with a high level of trust of like what the players are going to be contributing to the universe, right? Which is a perfectly valid way to play, but takes a lot of the pressure off the GM and puts it on the players yes. to generate some level of interest in, you know, like if if, if, a, a, if a player says I want to play and, a and keep all the details straight and yeah. keep all the details straight, right? 
But the if, players, if, if they know the GM is keeping the details straight or believe it, right. they can feel free to forget things and get them wrong. Right, and, exactly. And screw around and be players. Right. So 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 in, in some level, the, the the question of like the level that you can include that level of mystery in is how much do the GM and the player who is playing at least the one member of the team who says he's the detective are willing to interact on that level. Right. Right. And that because goes to the fundamental question of what is the core of what activity is the core of the activity game. Of the mystery. Right, exactly. Or not the mystery, of the game. Of the game, yeah. right. And while I think that, by and large, we can all agree that virtually any game can be improved by the introduction of a sense of mystery every right. now and again, because right. it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's literally a thrill, and thrills are our business, um, to make, I believe that, by and large, we should uh, point the, the panel, although obviously the questions won't go their own way, towards the construction of what might be colorably recognizable as mysteries, sure. uh, whether it be solvers or bubblegum shoes. Sure. Um, to that end, I will offer one or two things that I've said at many, many mystery panels, and then if people want to respond to that or have their own final thoughts, this would be a lovely time. Mm -hmm. And then we'll do questions and young Shane can jump right in. Can finally actually get his question. Right? Well, it depends. Who else has their hand up? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I'm going to say clues. Uh, uh, Robin believes that the core clue is the necessary thing that pushes you from scene to scene to scene. Right. That although mysteries are not railroads, that every story, mystery or no mystery, has a beginning and an end and the scenes that went between those two. And that when you look at that, that is a thread. Yes. It is a line. It could be built with metal and then pieces of wood and run a train on it. If you did not railroad it, the players may have picked every single choice point and change point, but there is one story that happens. And Robin's argument is that's the nature of narrative. And the hell with you people. What do you want from me? <laughs> when I write a scenario for, uh, certainly for Trail of Cthulhu, and quite often for Nice Black Agents, I prefer what I call the ocean of clues method, where you're given a milieu that is soaking in clues and a number of characters who might know them, right. and you're still, there's still a mystery, it's still at the end, there is an answer to what happened, but there are any number of things that might have told you how to get there, and you go in, uh, mystery happens, the end is my preferred Thing. You can still map it as a trail, but I didn't lay out a bunch of scenes right. in any order. And, and your version uh, allows for, generally allows, for example, for multiple people to have been the responsible parties. Right, or whatever yeah. for it. that's right. Whereas, you know, like in the end, Robin is trying to get you to a place. He probably has a preferred right. whodunit, right. you know, as opposed to uh, whatever four words. Well, You're like, any of these five guys could have done it, depending on what the players did along the way yeah. to generate some interest, because they said, oh, I am expressing an interest in this NPC, therefore that NPC now just became more interesting because I expressed an right. interest in it. Right. Although it and wouldn't have to. No, right, it the, doesn't. So, sure. right, the part of the appeal of the, you know, when I write mystery modules for other games, right, part of the appeal of the pool of cues is it doesn't matter what order the players do them in as long as they have some set number of clues pointing them toward the direction you want. Right. Um, 
that, you know, what, however they find those clues, they'll get there. So their line might be zaggier than you expected, sure. but they'll right. all get there. Right, right. But and the, the point is, like, <coughs> a, a, along that way, by the choices that they are making and by the even, like, even the dumb choices that they're making of just, like, I found that NPC interesting mm -hmm. and I went over and interviewed him, gave that NPC more responsibility for the plot, sure. right, kind right. of thing. Because you yes. asked this guy questions, right. he is now more important. Because the and GM did a fun accent end, for that guy, he's right, on stage. Exactly, right, right yeah. And at, at any given time, I may have had five plausible, from my perspective, ways this mystery could have come out, and the player choices along that way decided which of those five were actually right. going to like point to at the end and say, yes. you know. Now, all of that said, the easiest way to run a mystery, especially for a new GM, is to have one solution, to have a known pattern of what the crime was, and we'll use the term crime broadly, but sure. we're gonna stick with it. So that when the players ask anything, the GM should be able to think, well, this is the crime that happened. Would it have logically left a clue in the area the players are asking? The answer should always be yes. What would that clue have been? Give right. it to them move on. Right. And by and large, if there is an element of the story that the players must notice, you need to provide at least three entirely separate clues pointing at it. Right. And that is neurological. Um, there's a, a, I think it's on the Alexandrian blog, the, the three clue method. Mm -hmm. And he is of a uh, sort of between Robin and, uh, and Betsy, in that he believes if you only just provide the three clues in every scene, a mystery will happen and emerge, and you'll solve it yourselves, and good for you. And Robin and I, having probably played with a order of magnitude more players than, than Alex, say, yeah, no, nah, that's not gonna happen. Right. <laughs> so, my... And it's awesome when it does. Yes, but, no, many, but, many yeah, great successes are awesome when they right, happen. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. When you jump your car over a, over a bridge, it's awesome when it happens. Right, yeah. <laughs> but the bottom of the, of the creek is littered with cars. <laughs> right, sure. Um, so, the, uh, so, so in a, any um, mystery story, if there are elements that need to be understood by the players to solve it, there have to be at least three clues pointing to them. And ideally, three clues per scene would not be too many. Right. Um, which is, uh, uh, which leads me to my argument that you should never introduce a red herring because players are capable of doing that all themselves, but I suspect that's a, a red herring, if you will. Mm -hmm. So leaving it at that very structural sort of, of thought, that scene, do you have rebuttals or more thoughts, better thoughts, surely? Uh, See, now see, that was a nice dig. No, I heard that. No, yeah. no. Um, <laughs> uh, no. I don't know that I, I have. I hope there are enough clues in this scene that you'll yeah. guys be able to figure out who killed each other at the end of right. <laughs> I don't know that I have much to, yeah, right. uh, much to add uh, to that because I think I agree that there are the, that these different approaches, right? If what you're aiming for is a particular answer, I think uh, that these approaches, right, the, the, like the three clue method is undeniably the way to go. And introducing red herrings is um, a fool's errand. Yeah. Um, because your, your players will find that to be the most interesting thing that they've ever seen and right. obsess about it. Um, I, I like to say don't hide the ball. Uh, mysteries work better when the balls are out in the open. 
Um, because they like they're not as obvious to the players as uh, as they are to you. Right. Most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. So that's I think that's true if what you're trying to do is get to a particular answer. If what you're trying to do is um, even figure out what the question is, you're obviously not going to be able to do it. Right. Yeah. It's just um, not and work. That's, so that's just a different approach. If you are, yeah, once again, it kind of like depends on the role of the players in the game, right? Like if they have come, that we're playing in a game in which we are in fact actually playing the, you know, the Scooby-Doo guys or whatever for this, yeah. and there is an assumption that there's a mystery to be solved, presumably the, the players have... says mystery machine It says mystery side. machine on the side, or in fact, I have in fact declared in this game that I am playing Batman. Right? right, and that's right. what I want to do, and I will be disappointed if I don't get to behave in a Batman style of way, right, for this. Then giving them that freedom <coughs> to kind of like decide for themselves what was an important clue along the way and what like led right. to the conclusion. You know, like Batman's not wrong 98% of the time, right, when he like declares what in fact actually happened in the scene. And it wouldn't be fun for him to do so unless you've got a cool story about the day Batman was wrong right. and have something else that you want to do with it, right? Like just arbitrarily declaring, sorry, I thought it was this other guy for it, so I just, you're just wrong or whatever. Nor would it's kind a of a good story because it's the one Sherlock Holmes got wrong. Right, Not yeah, exactly. Because he didn't get other ones Sure, wrong. right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So it's, a, it's the, the, you know, most of the time when you have kind of like built a situation with for a player... <laughs> can make that declaration, then they should be right. right yeah, you know, right. like most of the time, or they're not going to have fun, yeah. right? For the so, that's a different scenario from the kind of one where we're all kind of like playing characters who maybe can't be expected to solve a mystery on our right. own. Right. And the interesting thing is, we've been thrown into a mystery anyway. We're just and we're bards to and hobos, out. and what right, happens? Exactly, right. and like you know, we're going to kind of like stumble our way to some sort of solution, which is a person perfectly solid way to write a detective story or a mis yeah. you know, murder. God knows, Parker you know, yeah. Spencer never figures right. out a fucking mystery on his own. Right. Yeah. You know, except by bumbling around and pestering people until like, right. somebody gets annoyed enough to try to kill him, and then he's like, "Oh, you, you probably did something bad." <laughs> right. Yes, right. The Sam Spade is just the last person to knock Sam Spade out. Is the exactly the right? It's the guy who killed him, right? Yeah. And that's Manchester a perfectly just, like, acceptable so way to people that eventually they tell him. And it's probably a better way to run a mystery, right? Because it's very difficult for players to play the uber awesome detective, right? And if for some reason you have an uber awesome detective in your story, let them be uber awesome. Mm -hmm. That's not the case most of the time, in which case, sure, let them bumble around, let them like, you know, like solve the wrong thing, you know, let them confront the wrong person and have the fun of role-playing out the situation in which you say, here are the reasons this poor schmuck couldn't have done it, and please stop pestering him and go find the real guy, is a perfectly acceptable, you know, like, oh, that's where the next scene leads to, right? So it kind of depends on what kind of story the players are expecting themselves to be in, right? Most player groups don't have a Batman, don't have a Sherlock Holmes or whatever <coughs> in their team and don't expect to have that, right? So they can have considerably more freedom to kind of like flail around in the scene until they actually, you know, come up with something or find the thing. You can you can continue to feed them easier and easier clues until they finally figure it out, right? That's okay. So. It's also though you bring up the fact that 
there is one sort of possible usefulness for red herrings in your story, which is to have your players confront the wrong person right. and get yeah. a clue that way. Right. And ideally, that has that serves some other story purpose as well, right? Like in the process of confronting the wrong person, they also get to deal with some other part of their own backstory or whatever. Exactly. It's like, oh, the reason I confronted the wrong person is because that guy's the brother of the other person, and I hate my brother, so I assume everybody else hates their brother. And oh my God, suddenly I realize I'm in a psychological study. Of <laughs> you know, right? What happened here? So. Uh, by, by which I mean I realized I hate elongated man. That's what I meant to say. Right, yeah, well. um, okay, now it is time for questions. Oh, God darn it, I was hoping someone would beat Shane. Too late, sorry, Dan. Too late, sorry, nice Shane. Nice try. Nice try, though. Shane, Thank you for trying. What's your question? Uh, no further questions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> more, it's, it's, it's more of an observation. <laughs> more of an observation you, you, than a question. You actually did answer it. I wanted you to explore the clue space, right. which, which is what you dove into. Uh, so I absolutely appreciate that. But on the point of when the players are just absolutely pursuing the wrong path, right? Right. I think you're, you, you're, the guidance on the red herring, like using that to then present them with an actual clue is helpful. Are there any other tips along those lines besides just saying like, you know, putting your drink down, standing up from the table, like, look, we're done. <laughs> I want you to go this way. Clowns. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Stop. Any, any, any other well, I think the red herring technique is really helpful. Once again, you know, like, it, it, it's, it is informative always to understand why they follow the red herring, right? Because that will usually tell you something about where their headspace is for what's going on. If they're like, I followed this red herring because this guy looked like the villain to me. Right. Exploring why he looked like the villain to you seemed, is probably a useful use of your time at the table. He was Danish. Yeah, well, sure, whatever it is, right? No, but there, there, there's probably something about their characters that can be revealed in that story that is probably worth your time, right? But apart from that, if, you know, like, if, if they are genuinely wasting time chasing after something that you seriously as a GM do not yourself find interesting, there's nothing wrong with smacking them in the face with said red herring and saying, like, no, you're dumb, go get the right, you know, to try again. Dummy. And then you get to you do the fish slapping dance. Right. I do yeah. think that there are realistically three ways of shutting that down. One is do the red herring as a useful clue thing. One is telling them, like, you know, standing up, putting your drink down, and saying, like, this is not a story about the bus. <laughs> right. Get off the bus. <laughs> um, and oh, we, then, we're getting closer. We've been warned off the bus. Right. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, or as I, I did at a con was. game at one point, and we were really examining this room a lot, and the GM just stood up and turned around the paper and said, this is the box text for this room. Um, <laughs> um, but the third way is to change the mystery. The third way is to make that the answer, right? Yeah. Which, if you are, if you decide as a GM that that's more fun than the mystery you were originally right. telling, right. then there's no reason you have to stick with the mystery you originally the were fun telling. Fun play does, in fact, actually trump everything, yeah. of course. Yes. yes, that should be the first. You know. there's, a, there's a lovely S. John Ross anecdote about the, you know, the secret Klingon base. It's on Lyra 7. The uh, ship uh, has got uh, dilithium emissions that only come from Lyra 7. The Klingon guards all have shirts that say, 
we got this shirt on our secret base on Lyra 7. The players show up and they beat up the Klingons and they're like, off we go to Spike and Nine, the source of the Klingon base. And all you can do is say, you guys are brilliant. You are so good. Star- Starfleet is wise to trust you with antimatter. You are smart. You saw through those Klingon disinformation efforts. You're amazing. Hands off. And, uh, and a round of applause for everybody. And assuming that the ongoing story does not depend on the secret Klingon base right. on Lyra 7, sure. or that the base cannot be easily moved to Spike 9, then no harm, no foul. Everyone right. feels good. GM feels good because they know in their heart the players are idiots. Players feel good because they've been lied to. So and whoever drinks a month later, you can mock them. Right, yeah. yeah. Then everyone, again, feels good, but it's reversed. Um, so the, yeah, so that's, uh, I, I think that GMing tips, while valuable, are not necessarily the remit of this panel, though, because we are at a game design conference, not a game conference. So, in terms of design, I think that the reasons to incorporate a red herring or allow it to be incorporated by idiots is either that the game is not about solving the mystery, the game is about realizing you hate your brother. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so it doesn't really matter right. what happens with the red herring, or uh, the game is um, uh, about solving a mystery, and the red herring provides some sort of mechanical benefit. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that in the game you have a system whereby discovering a red herring and playing it to its fun conclusion, not just punching a ticket, but actually getting on the bus and going all the way to Tallahassee provides you with a mechanical bonus, maybe not on this mystery, I, I would hope not on this mystery, but in some way, Ben to Tallahassee now becomes a tag you can invoke or a thing you can exactly, burn. Exactly, right, yeah. Such now, this, that, is, this is now an aspect I can use Such later that red that herring yeah. then pays off, ideally in a story way, Right. but as a designer, you have to say, I want the red herring because I know red herrings are going to be a feature of this game. I want the red herring to actually have a mechanical impact on play. Right. And, and it, so, yeah, the, the, the point being not to insert a red herring as a timing mechanism. It's right. like, oh, you solved it too fast. I have to send you off to Tallahassee in right. order to make sure I've got a four-hour game for this because it's a con and, like, you'll feel silly if you, like, walked out in two hours having figured it out. But that, that trip to Tallahassee has some value, whatever it is, even if it does simply result in, in procedurally, it only results in getting to, has, to Tallahassee Figuring out that you're wrong, turning around and coming back and catching the right guy, right? You know, for that. Hopefully, there was some point to that trip to Tallahassee, and if there isn't one, invent one. Make them, you know, like figure out how to incorporate that. Yeah. And relatedly, you know? if mechanically the game had incorporates some reward for distinguishing red herrings from true clues, that might be a way. That might be a reason to include red herrings, but. It's um, that's asking a lot of a random table right. to be able to do that, and it's probably uh, it's like putting that into practice uh, may be more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, or it that would be, be a cool mechanic in a mystery-only game, right? Of, yeah. of like actually generating like a you know a positive mechanical result right. for identifying and somehow clearing out red herrings along the Or it way. might be yeah. a system That's like actually kind of like after your third red herring, your character gets really good at spotting red herrings. Right. And yeah, so right. when they start, you say, oh, you've had, you've gone to Tallahassee three times, 
guess what? Yeah, Your detective now knows better it's than to get on the bus to Tallahassee. Right. Yeah. It's, it's never not done. lupus. Yes. Whatever it is, it's, it's not never lupus. Never lupus. It's never lupus. lupus. <laughs> Whatever the dude has, right. it's not yes. lupus. Yes, the Norwood Builder episode. No, right. No. Yes. Yes. All right. Do we have any other questions? Yes. You, you, yes. Yeah. Sure. Uh, this might be a bit broad, but uh, do you have like, advice on building tension as like, the mystery goes on? I mean, it's interesting because I was literally just a few hours ago on a panel about using mechanically using clocks and countdowns and that sort of thing for tension generation, right? So like for those kind of games where there isn't, in fact, some sort of like mechanical thing. There's a track, there's a clock, there's a whatever that actually like you know can generate that. Games like Ten Candles or. Uh, Blades. Uh, blades or uh, dread yeah. or something like yeah. that where you've got a big honking yeah. metaphor on the table sitting there for everybody to stare at of, you know, like how close we are to actually coming to some level of peril about like the game for that. Um, as, you know, something that you can generate procedurally that gives that sense of, oh, wait a minute, if we don't get to, if we don't solve the problem by X amount of time, some additional state change is going to happen in the story that will almost certainly be worse for us, right? whatever it is. It doesn't have to be as abrupt and brutal as Ten Candles when the Ten Candle goes after all dead, right? But it can be something like the um, like the threat track on uh, Sentinel Comics, right, for this, where it's like, okay, the status of the world goes from green to yellow to red as the world is getting worse, you know, for this, and that kind of like changes your what it is you can access as far as like abilities and that sort of thing, right? Like for this, so anything that like generates a procedural clock, anything that like makes something, even if it's not a you know real time thing uh, uh, for it, but some mechanic that says we're on a path to something, and if you don't solve the problem before X, some other ter- you know, it's like I've got to solve the mystery, or an innocent man is going to be executed tonight, right? Kind of thing for that. That is always beneficial to a murder story, to a mystery story. So in, um, but not to tout my own game, but I'm about to tout my own game, oh, sure. in Sol- right, Solvers uses such, uh, an idea that's a little bit like that of, of acts or phases. Right. Right? So you, when you hit the end of one phase, a new thing that is more dangerous happens. Right. Um, so, right, you go from uh, phase, uh, the, the first act will introduce stakes, the second act will introduce an obstacle, the third act will introduce a major peril, right? And so uh, knowing that there's a sort of moment when those things happen is a way of uh, mechanically ramping up tension for the players. Right. On the other hand, the, the danger of that is making that predictable, right? For right. If, it, if it's like, okay, well, we know we're never going to be able to solve this until the major peril gets introduced. Well, then those first two acts feel kind of like, oh, I'm just sitting around waiting for the GM to make shit worse, right? And then <laughs> that, I know I can't actually fix anything until the GM has laid out all of the problems that could possibly happen, right? So you don't want it necessarily... I mean, you can mechanically, but like the, you shouldn't let the, the characters be aware of, oh, I'm just sitting around waiting for the point in the story when I'm allowed to solve the mystery, right? That's never, that, that's not conducive to, you know, like, generating the, 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 the sense that you want at the table. Right. 
but mechanically, those sort of things of like introducing a clock, introducing you know some increasing level of danger, some increasing level of tension as it goes along, that's just storytelling, right? Like players are used to that; they expect that it feels right for them to have like the you know here's the twist midway through the story where we suddenly discovered not only are you know these problems we are aware of, but there's five more problems we didn't know about that have just been introduced to us. You know, that always works, right? That's a 100% of the time is a successful mechanic. And even knowing that things are going to change in the middle of the game, like think, you know, if you think about the turn in Fiasco, in Fiasco right, right? Yeah. or the, um, like the, the struggle phase in Swords Without Master, right? Yeah. Even knowing that there's a period before which you can't end this thing right. is not necessarily bad if you know that then this thing is going to change. Sure, right, because you know it's going to be different. Right. right? Like, whatever answer right. you came up with in the first two acts is always going to be wrong. Right. So, you know, you're hopefully you have something else interesting to do for the players to do in those first two acts because they probably know whatever we come up with is going to be wrong. Right. Because that's how a story gets told. Or right? whatever so, happens is going to dr drive their vector going Or we'll out. drive something else. Yeah, Shift exactly, right. Or, oh yeah, well, we will in fact actually solve a minor thing, which will only then reveal what the larger mystery behind it right, is, or right. whatever, right. It's not that you can't give them rewards in the first two acts, but those will never be the big rewards. Right. So. Other questions? Yeah. So in a lot of games, uh, mysteries get sort of ad hoc and later as auxiliary activities. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like any Dungeons & Dragons mod will say, hey, now you need to find another mystery besides can we kill Sprout? Um, or like uh, Shadowrun was going to go, hey, besides the mystery of how, how to be paid, there's also this other thing you need to find out. And uh, when you're looking at games that aren't just focused on mystery games, are there anything, like when it comes to designing general uh, knowledge skills or uh, or skills that might be useful in super mystery, is there any suggestions you have for future-proofing uh, games that have, have a wider remit than like a little story game, which is never going to do that. I mean, sure. both, both of the examples you gave uh, are mostly examples of bad adventure design. D&D um, &D adventures, by and large, are very, very good at doing dungeons and very, very bad at doing almost anything else. Shadowrun adventures are legendarily just bad. <laughs> so, you know, the, the way to not do that is to not do that, not to be, you know, uh, Henny Youngman about this, but that is the answer. Um, in terms of how to build a skill set that's going to be useful, which is part of your question, part of it is just, if you're aware that mysteries are going to be a kind of a thing that you want adventures in your game to be about, make sure that your skill set allows or encourages that. I mean, D&D has the one skill investigate, which implies to me that mysteries are never going to be a thing in D&D, because it's a one-shot answer. I roll investigate. I got a 20. I've solved the crime. Hurrah! I mean, that's good. You want crime to be solved, but it's not actually right. an adventure. It's not the core activity of the players in the game. Right. And once again, depending on your tastes, that's not necessarily a problem. D&D never promised you it was good at mysteries. Right, yeah. Right? So when you're actually sitting down, if everybody at the table is having fun in a completely mystery-free adventure in which, like, our question, the only question at hand is, can we successfully clear out this dungeon level of, like, crap and steal all of their stuff before we die? Okay, if everybody had fun doing that, we're, we're good, right? Kind of thing. But, I mean, so but the way to future proof it practically is write a mystery scenario in your game as you design it. And if you can't do it, 
you're playing the wrong you're, game. You're, well, either yeah. say don't try mystery scenarios or go back and take the mechanical obstructions you put in your own way out. Right. I do think one of the, and this is implied in your answer, but I want to forefront it a little bit. Um, one of the, I think, key aspects of making investigation possible in a game is making investigation depend on multiple different skills that may be divided up among party members. Sure. Right? So it, it may even be as, you know, going back to D&D that like some people are good at spot hidden and some people are good at self, at, at sense motive, right? Uh, which is not a, to be clear, not a great way of writing a mystery into your game, right? But if you divide these things up among skill sets, you have the potential for a party that can collaborate on solving a mystery, whereas if you have one role for investigate, you can't. Right. Other questions? Hero in the earliest days of it as a system had one skill called detective work. Yeah. That was supposed to cover everything. Right. Right? You know, that you would like be possibly in do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and once again, because the core activity of the game wasn't solving mysteries, that was okay. Yeah. Right, for this. But if you actually, once you expanded the system out and like kind of went through a few iterations of design, it became clear. It's like, no, that's not really a skill. Yeah. It's not a thing that exists in the rules anymore because it's been replaced by separated into components and separated from its literary purpose within the game. Right, kind of thing. For the uh, we have time for either one really good or two okay questions. <laughs> right. Yeah. So raise your hand and tell me which one you're asking. <laughs> and we're pretty judgy. Right. Yeah. Okay. So All right. We got one for two of those. Yeah. But, uh, I've almost never found that <coughs> investigating D and D means trying to solve a solution. My usual experience with the people, the people, the traps people fall into is an accessible investigating to get the clue, which moves forward, and then a failure is nothing. That's usually the failure state that I see. Right. Sure. And that's what gumshoe exists to prevent. Yeah. Is to solve. Right. Exactly. Well, that's unfortunately that's a problem with original call, which is what Trail was. Part of the science was yeah. either I make this, you know, I make my library use role or I don't, and right. that hangs up the entire adventure, right? If, you know, it's like, well, I filled my library use role, so we wander around until two or three more people get killed, and now we have more clues. So and the, and the saving, you know, thing in D and D is you can just cast speak with dead, solve most of your mysteries that way, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, and and call is actually an example where skills might have been divided up too much. Right. Yeah. Uh, you watch your mouth out. <laughs> oh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, whatever whatever your skill is at hand, the point was always that, that there were scenes that could not be resolved any other way, except either we make this roll and find the right book in the library, or we wait until two more people, two members of more of our members of our party are dead, and then we maybe have another chance at making a roll. By our party, right? I mean you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, all right. Uh, turned out that was a good question because we are out of time. Thank you, everyone, for coming out. Uh, we hope we have helped out putting mysteries in games. Feel free to talk to Betsy or Darren at any time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the invitation. I am going to talk to Betsy. All right. You should. I recommend it. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the panel. This was delightful. No, you were terrific. Appreciate it. And everyone, uh, check I'm out sorry, and play I did not test. Get into solvers. I tried to. Everyone, check out, play test, follow 